Welcome to Beyond the Byline, the Eagles' bi-weekly podcast. In celebration of the end of the semester, we have a great episode for you. The Eagles' second print edition just released last week. I brought in some of the reporters who wrote feature pieces in that edition to talk about their stories. And I also got out of the studio this week to bring out interviews with not just our Eagle staff, but the students affected by the stories we write. First, I sit down with staff writer Vincenza Belletti to talk about the cover story featuring the impact of construction on students and staff. You'll also get to hear me talk with Ames Stewart, a member of AU Ambassadors, to hear how tours are adapting their pitch to prospective students. Then, I'm talking with style editor Aman Khan about her spread in print on the South Asian Student Association's fashion show and how she is using the style section to improve the Eagles' coverage of mental health. Finally, I'm with Chris Whitbeck, our assistant editor for Opinion, to talk about the growing satire section, The Seagull. But first, construction on campus has become a facet of student life here at AU. By updating its heating system and continuing construction on the Hall of Science, the university is working to become more sustainable and attract more students to its STEM program. Yet that construction is coming at a cost to students and staff. Vincenzo Belletti and Willard West have been reporting on construction for the better part of the semester. I spoke with Vincenzo on how the construction is affecting campus life. Thanks, Vincenzo, for being on the podcast. I really wanted to talk with you about how the construction going on at university is impacting both the students and the staff uh, here at AU. I wanted to start by talking about one of the things in the story, which was some of the problems with the AU Abroad's office. Is it right that they got closed down for a couple of days because of the construction? Yeah, so what happened with the AU Abroad office and the construction is that the office is located in the Sports Center Annex, which is back by the athletics field in kind of a secluded corner of the school. And so that's where the university is storing a lot of the construction equipment. And because the the equipment is stored there, it's really limiting access that the um, advisors have who work in that building. And it's not the only office that works in that building. So there's tons of people that have been impacted. Um, And so the way that the construction was stored limited the people who worked in the sports center annex from getting to their offices for a good handful of days. And they had to work from home, which impacted the way that they could help students. Sarah Dumont, who's the executive director of AU Abroad, also said that besides just having their offices closed down, there are also some other incidents that impacted the work of faculty over the summer. Could you talk about those? Yeah. So over the summer, there was a gas leak that was caused by the construction crew accidentally hitting a gas line that they had underground. And so the reason for that was the way that they had it mapped in their records was not the way that it was actually put into the ground way back when. When that occurred, staff wasn't able to come to campus and do their work, and they were really limited and restricted to where they could go once they returned. And because of that, there was a significant impact to staff work. Luckily, it was over the summer when students weren't here and there was less to do, and the time timing was uh, not an issue. But if, if that was to happen again when students were on campus, it would cause a much greater impact. Since this construction isn't just staying in one place, obviously on the quad, it's literally moving down from the library towards K. How is this impacting the ability of students with limited mobility to get around campus? One of the major problems that students with limited mobility have had is concerning the long walks. Um, The way that the construction is being sectioned off has made accessing various parts of campus much longer. Personally, myself, I walked 
from the quad to the student health center one day just to see how long that walk would be myself. And it took much longer than it has in the past. And students with limited mobility can't make that long of a walk in a shorter amount of time if they needed to get to someplace quickly. And even just general amount of time, it's just such a hardship on them. A lot of handicapped ramps like on curbs have been blocked off by fences, um, trucks, cranes, any and all kind of construction materials. So students who require the use of a wheelchair are having a harder time navigating the campus because these inconveniences are blocking them from being able to get from one place to the other. What is the university doing to make the places where construction is going on accessible to folks with limited mobility? So something that has been implemented is like ramps with like a board uh, per se. If the curb ramp is blocked off, then I have seen um, cardboard ramps around campus that have been put up um, in replace of that. Um, Additionally, across the library where there have been large holes, the school has put um, a metal board across for students to be able to get across, including like limited mobility students, because again, it would take them a lot longer to walk around. On the flip side of that, um, the way that the metal ramp was placed does create a large bump for someone to go over if they are in a wheelchair. So while like that was a step in the right direction, there is still that slight issue. If students are interested in getting more information or seeing updates on the construction projects going on on campus, where can they find them? Um, on the online version of the story, we have several links included um, on the story. One is giving you updates about the Hall of Science construction. And so you can check there for any changes that have been made and to look at the next steps in the process. We also include a link to the 2011 campus plan that was created at the time, which outlined how the Hall of Science would be built, though it is a little bit different, but it would still be a good reference point to see um, the Hall of Science construction and any other construction that you might be doing. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. AU Ambassadors is also being affected by the construction. I met Ames Stewart, who is training to be a tour guide, to talk about how they are pitching the construction to prospective students. I am here on the quad by the library near the construction, and I am with Ames Stewart, who is a part of AU Ambassadors, who I wanted to ask about how is this construction project going on at the center of campus affecting y'all's ability to pitch the school to prospective students? I would say that it's not having a very large um, impact on our pitch. Um, I'm new to the program, so I don't know how they ran the tours um, prior to the construction. But so far this year, our tour route generally just walks around the construction. We don't really include it as part of our schedules, like what we're going to say on tours. But we're happy to talk about it when parents do ask. And we mention it when we pass it, typically. So what happens when parents or prospective students see it and do ask you about it? Yeah, we generally just try and pitch it like, um, because the goal of the construction is to improve sustainability on campus, that's what we tell parents. We tell them that we're undergoing this construction to help make sure that our campus has like a reduced um, carbon emission and making sure we're as green as we can possibly be. Um, but we do, typ- do typically draw attention to the construction of the new Hall of Sciences because like we are a school that's trying to build up our reputation as a STEM school and to attract some more STEM majors. So we're really proud of that and we tend to talk about that on tours a lot. Awesome. Next, the South Asian Student Association hosted its Jawla fashion show outlining the culture, dress, and music of South Asia. 
and as a two-page spread in our print edition, it gave me the opportunity to highlight the amazing work of our style section. And there's nobody else that could help me talk about that section better than style editor Amon Khan. Amon, thank you so much for being here. Oh, you're welcome. So your article in print on the South Asian Student Association's Jawa Fashion Show is a great feature on some of the different styles and fashions on campus. Talk to me about how you transform what is a very visual subject, obviously, in fashion into a written journalism piece that can go in print. Sure, totally. So this was kind of difficult because South Asian fashion is so heavily reliant on um, visual features and pieces of clothing. Um, so really what, what the goal was, was to break down every article that goes into an outfit or a composition of an outfit for South Asian fashion. That in itself can really explicate what what comes of the visuals of a lot of those clothing, so kurtas and lengis. I wanted to break down what a kurta was, um, what a bindi was, because all of those different articles complement each other. Kurtas are made of two different pieces, and so I think that's how I translated a more visual thing to a written article. More broadly, since you are our amazing style editor, can you talk uh, about the style section and what you're trying to do here at the Eagle with that section and what some of your goals are for it? Um, so I think that in the past, style has been limited and in, in what we can offer and what we can write about. Um, so specifically this semester, I wanted to expand what we could talk about. So I've been really focusing on wellness um, and mental health because I think that's also very applicable to style. Um, we have a lot of different sections, you know, because art and entertainment and food and fitness are great, but we really want to talk about mental health as well, just because that's an issue that's pretty pertinent on campus and we don't get much talk about it. Uh, so that was one of my goals for this semester. Also, in terms of style itself, we are trying to develop um, a fashion column for, for next semester, which will be really great just because we feel that not every student's kind of fashion is talked about on this campus. There's um, not even just a composition of styles, but, you know, what is what are the styles of people who are of different religions, of different backgrounds, people who don't identify with a certain kind of fashion who identify, don't really identify with what fashion has to offer in terms of uh, male and female dichotomies and stereotypes. Sometimes style is seen as something that's kind of superficial, um, and we're trying to deepen that and, and make it something that can offer AU a not only diverse, um, but thorough perspective on um, what style can can range to, and just make sure that the students who want representation and who want a conversation about mental health are, are getting that. In the Jala piece that y'all published, uh, there is a beautiful graphic by Jennifer Crony, who also works here at the Eagle. Could you talk about how the style section is incorporating and working with our graphics team to really highlight, uh, like we've kind of talked about, the visuals and the mm -hmm. styles and the fashion in a very um, way that a reader can see them? So I think graphic design is imperative to articles like these. Just because, as I um, talked about before, we definitely can convey this into writing, but without um, something to supplement it, like um, visual design, completely takes away all the color that comes with fashion, all the substance that comes with fashion. It, it, you know, it makes it, it disregards all of that. So it's really important that we work with the graphic design team so that we don't uh, commodify the figures in that picture. They're not just pieces of fabric. They are people, and we're trying to convey what those people and what they're wearing, uh, what they, it means to them, basically. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you.
And finally, we wanted to highlight a section that is really starting to take off, the Seagull, the work of our growing satire team. If you haven't read any of our satire pieces, put this episode on pause and go read one. They are guaranteed to make you laugh. And to talk about the growth of this section, I brought in Chris Whitbeck, the assistant opinion editor. Chris, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Talk to me about how the Seagull section really got going here at the Eagle. Well, thanks for having me. Um, about a year ago, I think it was Nicholas Mack, actually, our managing editor of Opinion, who uh, decided to start the satire section. It started up last spring, I think. We didn't actually have many writers for it. We didn't actually even have an assistant editor assigned to it, as I am now. But um, we had one contributing writer and one staff columnist. And this semester, we added uh, two more, and one of the contributors became a staff columnist. Ever since the semester started this semester, um, I've been overseeing them and how they're writing their stories and developing as satire writers. And even myself, I didn't even start writing satire until this semester. So it's kind of been a growing process for everybody, including myself. What are the kinds of ways that satire writing and satire journalism is different from the other stuff going on in the Eagle? So satire, first of all, is a whole lot different than pretty much any of the other sections or subsections because we have a lot more room for creativity, meaning like we don't have to go out and report a story. And we don't necessarily have to come up with that information ourselves because our, you know, our fantastic news staff does that themselves. And we basically pay attention to the news, um, take that, synthesize it, and just basically try to turn it into something funny, something interesting and entertaining, and hopefully something that also is a nice commentary on the subject at the same time. What do you look for in a news story to transform it or give it a satirical spin? The funniest thing about a story is usually the most ridiculous thing. And in the news, there's definitely no shortage of ridiculousness going on, especially at AU. So my main thing is when I'm looking at the news, I'll, ba I'll basically run down every story that has been published in the week or anything that's going to come out that week. And I just sort of try to get into the details of it. And if there's just something ridiculous and unique about it, that's usually a pretty easy thing to tap into. What have been some of the favorite satire pieces that either you or your staff has written and have gone up on the Seagull site? So yeah, um, we have a fantastic writer, just started this semester, um, Caden Cloud. He, uh, he wrote a really great piece this semester about someone who is trying desperately to get into the, um, the student health center because they've never seen the inside of it because apparently it's impossible to book an appointment. Um, so that was a really great one. We have a really great columnist, um, Bobby Armstrong. She really dove headfirst into the writing this semester. She's picked up like a million different pieces all at once. and It's really great. I love to see that in our writers. She's written a lot about like how AU is the most politically active um, school in the country. And yet, for whatever reason, it's the least sexually active. <laughs> so that's a pretty out there idea. But I ran with it because I thought, you know what? whatever. Let's put some content out there that's a little out there. Get some eyeballs going. Yeah. Talk about what are you looking forward to in the future with the section? How are you trying to grow it? What are some goals that you have? Um, my biggest goal is to hopefully hire a staff cartoonist. I know that our staff applications are out right now. Probably not um, open by the time that this podcast comes out, but hopefully someone did apply for the cartoonist position. I really hope um, we can get some, you know, original content to, you know, supplement all the satire pieces because right now we really just have the seagull quote unquote logo that usually accompanies every single piece. But it would be really great to get some really funny and hilarious drawings on there too. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. Beyond the Byline will return at the beginning of the spring semester. 
Until then, give us a rating and send us feedback at the emails in the description. And have an amazing break. Bye.